right. Nice to worship with you all, and uh, good to uh, definitely see um, some new faces and some um, familiar faces as well. And uh, today we are going to be um, looking at this topic when it deals with relationships of patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving, right? Um, and how we need this. I read an article that talks about the levels of patience or the circumstances of patience, and this psychologist put it this way, that there are three um, types. The first is just nuisance. Um, the internet is all of a sudden very slow, and it's not downloading. We all experience that, and we need patience for that, right? Um, and the second thing is uh, just boredom in life. Some of your work, for a lot of us, when you're into it for the second decade or the third decade, it's not that exciting, right? There's just kind of, you're just going through the motions in a way. Or family life, raising kids or marriage, it's not always exciting. There's some boredom in that as well. And the third type is when it comes to people. Someone is psychologically or physically trying to harm you. They are slandering you or trying to ruin your life, and that requires patience. Difficult people, it requires patience. You know, for me, this is my weakness, is my impatience. Like the few, the, over the years with me and my wife, the times that we have, that I've gotten in trouble is when I've honked, like why, why are you taking so long? And I've, I resist from honking the horn in the garage. She's getting two kids ready and this and that, but I've done that and made mistakes in doing that. I'm the type, I go to Costco and there is this, it's like this big race and there's 20 lanes and I have to figure out, look, God, give me wisdom, like which one is the fastest lane? <laughs> and um, I count. And I look at the cashier to see if they're competent, if I think they look competent. Um, and then if they have the helper, the guy that's helping them to box, says, okay, I gotta go to that lane. And then I look at the person who got in line at the same time and I'm just measuring. It's just like this um, sinfulness in me that comes out in that way. And now this week I'm talking about patience and uh, my wife knew I was preaching on patience and she was just laughing because there were times I was like, telling the car in front of me, hurry up, let's go. And she's like, what are you preaching on again? I'm like, okay, um, I'm not going to tell you from now on, right? Uh, um, it'll be, but patience. And we all need that so much. You know, this word here, it says to put on patience, right? We want this to be a resolution. We all, as we get more mature, as you get older, you want to become a more patient person. And this goes against, if you are type A, if you're a go-getter, if you are efficient, this goes against your kind of wiring. But yet God calls us to be patient. Um, the word patient that we ought to put on in the text that we read is this word, macrothumia, macro, right? That we get the word uh, micro, macroeconomic, so on. It's the idea of big or long. And that word patience there means long-tempered. It's someone who could take so much and they don't break and they don't lose it. And they are able to just have a temper that is so long. They're not, they don't snap right away. They don't lose their temper right away. Uh, they don't say, I have to go vent to someone right away. I need to go do something right away. They're just long tempered. We're called to this. And the longer that you have known people, the more patience we need. 
the uh, illustration, I love the illustration James uses in James chapter 5. He says, the illustration he uses is that of a farmer, right? It says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, he tells us to be patient like a farmer. We are not in an agricultural society. We don't fully grasp what this is. But if any of you have grown any trees or plants or anything, you know what that's like. In front of our house, we had these two big trees. And one of them got, got diseased and was dying, so we had to pay money to get them chopped off. And I had to go and put two new trees in. Uh, I, didn't know any, I don't know anything about trees, right? And I went, and I went to Home Depot and I asked the guy, because he had an apron on, I assume he's a tree expert, so I said, okay, I, I need two trees. What do you recommend? I, I, and he said, well, I recommend this one. It'll stay leafy through the, all four seasons, and uh, it'll provide shade. It's very pretty. It's easy to deal with. So perfect. Give me two of those. Um, but, you know, they're only like this big, right? I bought the baby version of it, and I got them planted a year and a half ago. And now, um, you know, I, could, I used to be able to count the amount of leaves that that tree would have and how it would water that thing. And now when fall comes around, all the leaves are gone, right? Each day they're falling off, and I have these just twigs, and they're in my front. And my neighbors, um, two doors down, is an older gentleman, a grandpa, and he's into trees, and he's into flowers and grass, and he comes over and always kind of makes a comment, Steve. Nice trees, you know? And I was like, don't look at my trees, please. You know, he's got these huge trees and they're big leaves and they provide shade. And I got these trees. Um, it it's, makes us look very poor, you know? Like, it's just there. So I'm waiting. When is this going to bear? The picture of a farmer has to wait for the rain. The farmer cannot be impatient with God in that way. The farmer cannot say, when is this going to now uh, bear fruit? Has to wait. Can't pluck it early. Has to wait. And we're called to be a people of patience. Um, we're called to be patient in this way. You know, uh, there was an article that was written by a cab driver, uh, Kent Neighbor, and he titled it The Cab Ride I'd Never, I'll Never Forget. And it, it, he published it, and it, it's been circulating because of how well it was written. It's a story about him on his last call in New York City. He goes to this uh, neighborhood to a house that had called him to, for a ride, and he's waiting there, and he's honking. New Yorker, right? So he's honking. You know what that's like. And he's now thinking, you know what? They're not coming out. I'm just going to leave. But something inside of him said, well, I'll just stick around. So he goes to the door, and he knocks on the door, and he hears someone inside. It sounds like a grandmother. And she's dra you could hear her dragging something along, saying, hold on, I'm coming. And she finally opens the door, and she's dragging along her suitcase. And he looks inside the house, and he sees something peculiar, very different. All the furniture is covered in sheets. Everything's in boxes. It's all wrapped up. And she just has one bag, and she's dragging it along, and he helps her. He picks it up, puts it in the trunk, and they get in the car, and they start going. He says, where, where to, ma'am? And she says, I'm going to the hospice care unit. She's going to die. And she starts sharing about her life um, and how she is um, the only one left. She has no more family. And it's at this point he turns off the meter and he's saying, well, you know, and, and she says, kid, do you mind if we go through downtown? I want to go see the big city. 
And he tells her, well, you know, that's going to take a lot longer than if we take the expressway. He goes, no, please, let me just go that way. He says, whatever you want. And they start driving through the big city. And they start stopping here, and she's telling stories about how she went to school there and grew up here. This building was never here when she was young. And they would go, and at times they would stop just in front of uh, the water or the bridge. And she would, they would just sit there for 30 minutes until she was ready. Before they knew it, the sun started coming up. And she said, let's, let's go now. And they drive over to the hospice care, and they get there. Uh, he drops her off. Um, and this is what he says, and I just wanted to quote a little bit of what he wrote. He says, um, I squeezed her hand and then walked into the dim morning light. Uh, behind me, a door shut. It was a sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. For the rest of that day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end this shift? What if I refused to take the run or had honked once then driven away? On a quick review, I don't think that I have done anything more important in my life. You know, it is in the patience. It's in the journey that we grow that we learn. It's in the mundane things that we do at home with our families, going to work, dealing with people. And it is the patience that God shows to us that we have to reflect to others. And now this patience that we ought to put on, now it goes to the next level. He says, and he says it's so straightforward. And I love this about what Paul, how Paul writes. He says, Bearing with one another, in verse 13. Bearing with one another. The word bearing is the idea of, of um, enduring with one another. He's saying there's going to be difficult people in your life. Uh, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have difficult people in your life? You're like, oh, yeah, you know, I do. Uh, you know, he's sitting right next to me. Whatever it is, right? Um, I married one, so on. No, but really, we all have, he's assuming that. Bearing with one another. Enduring it together. It's almost, it's even translated at times as suffering. It's difficult. It's hard. You have to swallow your pride. You have to go and really ask God for strength. How am I going to bear with this person? Maturity comes as we learn to wait and to bear with people. We learn to handle difficult circumstances. It is the immature person that is hopping along whether it is marriage is too hard, or whether it's this school is too hard, this program, or these people at this church is too difficult, and they're just hopping along, hopping along, hopping along, because anything difficult that comes, they do not bear. And the picture of what is written to the church in Colossae, remember, they were the barbarians and the Greeks and the educated people are going, oh, those people, those people are not educated. Their kids have no manners, and now they are in community. And he doesn't say, hey, just leave. But he says, bear with one another. Just stay together. We as a church as we celebrated Crossway's 10-year and Irvine's 5-year, uh, what a blessing it is. But, you know, you spend five years together, or maybe longer, um, you get to know all the good and all the bad about everyone, right? It's no longer as impressive. You know, when we first started church, it was exciting to meet everyone. Everyone seemed so nice and so this and so impressive, and even the pastors, boy, they seem so good and godly and smart, and you get to know them. You know, they're just, they're just like me. You know, they're just like me. 
Um, and we are, right? And we get to know each other. And we say, but this is where maturity comes in. This is where commitment comes in. We bear with each other. We hold hands and we go together. We huddle up each week and we share life together. And some of us in our pride will say, I'm not going to go to that. You know, I'm not going to be a part of that. Um, I'm, I'm getting disappointed in these people. Well, no, exactly. Paul is assuming that by telling us this, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, and I love this part. If you have a complaint against another, he doesn't say go file a report. Go report them to God. Go tell the pastors. Leave right away. Ignore them. You know, man, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. No, he says, if you have a complaint, now if, let's get to the next level. If someone is hurting you, forgive them. Forgiving each other, it says in the next one to do. Forgiving. Charizomai. Uh, the word charis in the Greek is the word grace. Right? Look at the word, I think, charisma and so on. You know, uh, charizomai. It's the idea of freely forgiving someone. So forgiving doesn't mean I have strings attached and you better now change and comply and be repentant and be ready. And if you pay restitution to me, then I'll forgive. No, this Christian forgiveness is the idea. It's free. I'll forgive you freely. You've, and, you know, we all hear this. And in a group this size, many of us, if not all of us at one point, have been hurt and we have deep pains that someone has caused us, even maybe when we're little or as, as a grown-up, and we've been betrayed or hurt or abused, and we say, this is not easy to do. This is hard to do. And what we see in our culture today is just this revenge culture or justice culture. He did this to me, I will get him back. And we, as the culture around us celebrates that, the Christian culture not only says we want justice, but another step that is countercultural is I want to forgive. I will forgive. The hardest thing for us to do. And yet, the motivation behind this is as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You must do this. He makes it personal. He gets to the second person. He calls it you. It's not just general. It's not just talking about them. But he says, you who are reading this, you who are listening to this, all of us, you. God's forgiven you. You are the offender. You're the one who's received forgiveness. Who are you to say no? And he says this. You know, he repeats the same thought in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The motivation and the power to be able to forgive is God. It's not because you are enlightened or you are good or you're inspired just by yourself or you're a good human being, you're going to forgive. No, you're a Christian who's been forgiven by Christ's blood and we are completely forgiven. Our sins are no longer in his sight. And he says we ought to forgive. He is our motivation. You know, Douglas Moo in his commentary talks about this little phrase. And he says there's, and I just want to get a little bit technical here. It says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. That little phrase, as the Lord has forgiven you. And he says, he puts it in two ideas. It's a, it's a causal, like because he's forgiven you. Since he's forgiven you, right? 
he's forgiven me since he's done this. Because he's done this for me, I ought to forgive others. And he said you could translate it that way. We who have received much, we can forgive in this way. But also, it's this comparative idea. As he's forgiven me. So he's the model, and I'm going to copy him. How does he forgive? I'm going to copy him. You know, in Matthew 18, when Peter asked, how many times shall I forgive? Seven times? Up to seven times? He says, 70 times seven, right? Um, How does God forgive me? And we today have to sit and ponder upon this. We can fool ourselves to think, I go to God, he, forget, he gives me what I kind of deserve. You know, I've been good, I work hard, I raise my kids well, you know, I, 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 I'm, I give to the church, I help the poor people when the church wants to. I'm good, and God owes me something. No, he's forgiven us. We've sinned against him. And what does the Bible say? The, the pictures in the Old Testament, just a couple, to describe his forgiveness of our sins. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the, this is only poetry could really get this across. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The psalmist has no other way to describe it. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. So we might look at someone and we view them as, oh, that person owes me. That person hurt me. I don't really like that person. And we have these uh, kind of a, a, a bitterness lens towards someone. But God looks at us. He says he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Another picture we see that's beautiful in Micah 7, 9. Uh, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities, right, underfoot. He is treading it. He is stomping on it. And he talks about God. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He takes our sins, our transgressions, and he throws it overboard in the middle of the Pacific, tied with a big rock, and it is gone. It is no longer visible. It is, no one remembers it. And that's... The, the gravity of what we received and the sin before God. And so the gospel reminds us of our sinfulness, how much we've been forgiven, and he now allows us and helps us to forgive. Um, some of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom, the late Corey Ten Boom, she um, grew up in... Uh, Holland, she was a, grew up um, as a watchmaker with her Christian family. And in 1940, the Nazis came in. And uh, her father and her and her sisters, they had um, built this little secret room, the hiding room, in the back of her bedroom. And they would house um, these Jews and some of the other people, six at a time max, and they would have to stand there. And they saved hundreds, if not thousands of people in this way. But eventually they get caught. So uh, her and her whole family is sent off to a concentration camp. Uh, She loses her family there. Um, But by God's grace, because there was a clerical error, she is allowed to leave. And she talks about the forgiveness that she has. And in her, um, uh, in one of her books, Um, She talks about this, and she talks about after speaking at a church in Munich. And one of the soldiers who was there, one of the Nazi soldiers, 
after the word ended, had come in to listen. Approaches her after. She recognized him. He was the guy in charge of the showers where her and her sister and all the women were uh, forced to strip naked and to go in. And he was the guard there. And he, she remembered his face. And he came up to her uh, in tears saying, thank you for sharing this message of God's forgiveness. Uh, I need God's forgiveness for my sins. And at the end, he reached out with her hand to shake her hand and wanting to thank her. And she says this. She says she couldn't physically lift her hand and she prayed, Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me, help me to forgive him. I tried to smile, I struggled to raise my hand, I could not, I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity and so again I breathed a silent prayer, Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him, give me your forgiveness. And she says, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not our own forgiveness anymore than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he, speaking of Christ, tells us to love our enemy, he gives along with the command, the love itself. He allows it to happen. I pray that you would be soaking in the grace of God, that these messages of forgiveness would just soak into your soul, and that person you need to forgive, that his power would come through your arms and your hands, and you would reach out and say, I forgive you. This is a distinctly Christian message. Impossible to do without him, but doable because of what he's done for us. So we celebrate his forgiveness of us, and the proper way is to forgive others as he has forgiven us. Um, we do it by his strength. Let's pray together. Uh, dear God, we are always humbled when we think about how you have forgiven us of our sins, yet we don't speak of it much. God, the older we get, um, we tend to assume that we deserve some of that. And God, yet uh, you take our sins and you throw it into the ocean. You take it as far as the east is from the west. You see us as white as snow. God, you, we know our hearts. We know our minds. We know our acts. And God, and yet you look at us that way and we are humbled. Jesus Christ, we thank you. And God, our prayer today is that we would be your instruments of forgiveness. Oh, how the world needs this kind of grace, and God, oh, how we need to forgive, and we need to bear with others, and we need to be patient with others. Um, God, so we cannot do it without you. God, Holy Spirit, Lord, would you work through us, and would you help us? Because God, on our own, we are nothing. So Lord, we lean on you for this. We thank you for your forgiveness of us. God, we celebrate that truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.